0: night, to 1 Corinthians 13, the most famous passage of Scripture, maybe, certainly the most famous in Paul's epistles. You'll see why if you don't know what it is. I'm sure you've heard it before. I'm going to read the passage, say a few things about it, you can follow along with me. This is 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 1. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Man. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, if you've been to at least two weddings, you will have heard this read, at least one of them, um, for obvious reasons. And notably, this passage isn't actually about romantic love, per se. It's not actually about a man and woman. It's, it's applicable. I'm not saying don't read it at your wedding. Um, it applies. This is a good place to learn about love for married couples. But this is a more fundamental passage. The first place I want to start with this passage is, what, what, is your, what is your goal? What is your symbol? This is verse one. This is, this is Paul's first point. Is that whatever I do, he lists all these amazing things, great gifts. He's been talking about spiritual gifts. He's going to go back to that in chapter 14. So if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and knowledge, all faith to remove mountains, if I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, lay down my life for the faith. All these things, but have not love, I am, what, a noisy gong or a climbing cymbal. Right? No offense to, the, to those who play percussion among <laughs> us, right? But what he's saying is it's just empty noise. Empty noise. Good, good thing in accompaniment. Not what you want for the main course. Uh, a climbing, a noisy gong or a climbing cymbal. What is that for you? What, what, what I mean by that is, you know, Princetonians have ambitions. One of the things I love about Princeton is like, it's like people want to do something. It was frustrating. I took some classes at my local state school when I was younger. It was frustrating because people, a lot of the people there, some people really care, but a lot of people just seemed like they didn't care, right? They seemed like they didn't care. And at Princeton, people care. People are motivated. Uh, you know, I think my, my best friend at Princeton, like, he came to exam time one year. Like, he just worked nonstop. He slept, in the course of a week, six hours. Not six hours a night. Six hours. Yeah, It's <laughs> impossible. <laughs> 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 so you think it's impossible, but in this very room, you know. And so it's like he slept two, two hours the one day, and then you know two hours two days later, and two hours two days after that. His, his health collapsed. He had to leave, go back home, <laughs> come back a year later. Not, this isn't a recommendation, right? But he somehow he had that in him, right? Somehow where did that come from, right? So that's who you're competing with. Academically, like, people who are able, whether through love or passion or fear or who knows what, to do like work to the uttermost, right? To push themselves. And I think of this on a uh, postdoc I knew, postdoc at one of my grad Bible studies, postdoc at the uh, Institute for Events Studies, a professor at Harvard now, you know, and uh to me, he's emblematic of like what it takes to become a professor at Harvard. See, he grew up in the U.S. Virgin Islands, like you know, on the beach, and his parents were always telling him, like, "Oh, go out to parties, drink, meet girls." Right? Us, his parents in 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 the Caribbean. That's what he was getting encouraged to do. What did he spend his time doing? Reading books on on uh, on uh, algorithms. Reading books on algorithms on the beach. You know, no tiger parent pushing him to study, right? He just loved it intrinsically, right? Harvard professor, <laughs> that's what it takes, right? It's like you're, you're, you're tempted to watch video games. He's like all of paradise, you know, <laughs> algorithms, computer science, math. We love things at Princeton, if, if that's the right definition of love. There are things that you love and that you're driven to. And the challenge here, I mean, Paul is listing things which are good, I mean, amazing things, specifically within the church, like the great feats of faith, great notable gifts of the Spirit, great actions and outpourings of faithfulness to God's Word, giving all you have, like giving up your body to be burned, great efforts of knowledge. And he's saying all these things, if you lack love, are nothing. Are nothing. So what is it for you? What is that ambition for you? Like what, what is it that's driving? I encourage you to think about that. It's something that's discussed in uh, a small group. What is it that you want more than anything else? Like when you dream dreams, what is it you hope to do? That's first. What is your noisy gong? Your plain simple. Second point I want to make is, this This is like so obvious as to be trite. Love is the main thing. This is the point Paul is making. This chapter, so it's, it's, it's in a... It's in a structure here, like chapter 12, he's talking about gifts. Chapter 14, he goes back to it. In the middle here, nestled, he's got the key to doing it right. The key to doing it right. What is it? It's love. It's love. And what what do I mean by that? And then he describes that. So, you know, verses 1 through 3, he's talking about no matter what you do, if you lack love or nothing. Verses 4 through 7, he defines love. This is the famous passage read at weddings. Even the most atheist of weddings often read this passage. In my experience, love is the key thing, and that's not just in this letter. That's not just the key thing to the, the need for holiness in the community and the Corinthian church. It's the key. He's, elsewhere, Paul says, "Like what sums up the whole law and the prophets?" He's quoting Leviticus nineteen eighteen: "Love your neighbor as yourself." Jesus says that he's asked, "What is the greatest command?" The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's in Deuteronomy. And secondly, secondly, flowing from that, love your neighbor as yourself. Which in Leviticus is right in the heart of two chapters, three chapters that deal with holiness, what it means to be a community. Love is the key. Agape, you hear that term? That's this chapter. That's the word used for love a number of times. Agape love. What is it? It is the foundation. Well, and this is the hardest part of talking in this passage. I could just see that. I would just be like, all right, all right, brothers and sisters, here's the key, love one another. Sit down. I mean, we all know that. We have, like, who of you disagrees that we should love one another? Raise your hand. Right? I mean, even if you are in a group of atheists, it's like, who thinks we should hate one another? Right? Not in our culture. No one would agree. We should love one another. This part of Jesus' teaching, I mean, it is challenging to understand precisely because it's so ingrained in our culture. People like this. People like the idea of love. We talk about love all the time. But what do we we mean when we say love? Let's talk about that a little bit. When we say love is the main thing, how do we define love? And I love this. This is a quote from Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky. I love this quote. So this is Father Zosoma. who's one of the great characters in all literature. And uh, he's a a Russian Orthodox priest. And this uh, lady has come to him. She said to him, I just feel Father Zosoma but I just can't actively love anyone. He tells this story, he says, a long time ago, a man said this to him, I'll read it. This is what the man said. The more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. In my dreams, I often make plans for the service of humanity, and perhaps I might actually face crucifixion if it were suddenly necessary. Yet I am incapable of living in the same room with anyone for two days together. I know from experience, as soon as anyone is near me, his personality disturbs me and restricts my freedom. roommates, right? In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of men. One, because he's too long over his dinner. Another, because he has a cold and keeps on blowing his nose. I become hostile to people the moment they come close to me. But it has always happened that the more I hate men individually, the more I love humanity. I love this quote. I mean, it's terrifying. Because it's like... We talk all the time about how much we love each other, about how much we love humanity. We discuss it in classes, our love for humanity, and our desire to do great things. And in our minds, in our dreams, in our fantasies, we think, well wow, I would do amazing things. I would do amazing things for humanity. And then we go curse out our roommate. Right? We go complain about that person we just had lunch with it's hard to love people. I, mean, I, mean, I it may not seem that way to you now. I mean, I don't know. Each of us comes from different places. You may have abundant experience in your own life of people who claim to love you who don't. Right? I, I hope, for your sake, that you've been blessed with healthy relationships, with people who do care about you, with people who claim to love you, who care about you. But all too often, it is hard to love people. What is love? Love isn't just a feeling. It's not just an assertion. It is these things, It's a it's a, it's a way of life lived out. It's a, it's actions, comprehensive set of your actions as well as your heart's desire, demonstrating your heart's desire that you care about that other person, that you are concerned for their welfare, and that you act on it. Right? Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. When we think about love, and we had this with so Christine and I at our wedding. We we, we were given a picture frame uh, with this passage put on it. And it was a hard thing because at our, at our wedding, we spent our whole wedding weekend trying to manage a particularly difficult family relationship. You know, it's like our first dance since man in life, you know, where I... You know, we're not whispering sweet romantic things. We were like, so what are we going to do about this situation? Right? It's true. truth. That's so what we were doing. This is how things happen. Weddings are family, family experiences. Mm-hmm. And on the side of the picture frame, so the picture frame has the passage going left to right. And then part of it is cut off by the picture of us smiling at you. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, if you read it just top down on the right, it's just... Arrogant love insists on way irritable. <laughs> <laughs> Arrogant love insists on way irritable, and I remember us just laughing nervously reading that. You know, that just became emblematic to us because often when we say we love someone, it's like, "Oh, I love you," and then what follows it right after is things that are unkind, things that are irritable, things that are lists of wrongdoing, right? Things that are the opposite of hope and endurance, and bearing with one another. Love is the main thing. So how can we love, third? How can we love truly? Love is hard. It's easy to say we love each other. It's easy to say we love humanity. How can we actually love each other? And I, I think about this, you know, under, understanding what love is. This is a key moment for me when I was a teenager, cynical teenager watching well, some TV program back in the day when you actually, like, flip channels. Um, and uh, it was like, I don't know what it was, PBS documentary, that's the kind of thing my parents got me watch. And um, uh, they, were, they were interviewing these kids, little kids, and they were asking them, like, what do you love about your parents, about your mother, specifically your mother, what do you love about your mother? And these kids, they were all saying, like, they're almost like, oh, she gives me cookies, you know? Yeah, the next was like, oh, toys, you know, uh, It was all like that, like stuff they got, right? So I, in my cynicism, said, you know, my mother was sitting next to me. I, in my cynicism, said, it's just selfish, right? They just like their mothers for what they get. And my mother said, my mother said, wisely, no, it it shows that their mothers love them. I mean, they're, they're talking about the thing that they're getting. But what they mean, even though they don't know it, maybe, what they mean is, my mother loves me. That's why she did, no, that's why she does these things. This this came home to me, actually, in the lives of our own children, with a, you know, again, a particularly difficult family relationship with our kids. I mean, we're the the same context, so an effort to give gifts. But it's like this particular family member was trying to, with my oldest, to give gifts with strings attached. She was trying to get him to do something she wanted to, and promising him gifts. And it was so interesting. We was so young, it's like four at the time. It's like he could tell he was being manipulated. Right? He could tell. He, like, didn't like it. He wanted, for years after the particular thing he wanted him to do, he, he would talk about it. For years after, I'm never going to do that thing. You know? I didn't coach him in that. I mean, I didn't want him to do the thing anyway. But anyway, and, you know, it's like I didn't coach him in that. It's like he could tell that it was coming from a place of manipulation, of selfishness, right? I mean, on the surface, it seems like the same thing. I will give you good stuff. What's the difference between someone who gives you good stuff because they love you? They're kind, they're gentle, they're not irritable, they don't keep an account of wrongs, they have hopes for you, right? Versus the person who's doing it for their own selfish desire for control. You can tell the difference, right? Love. We need to be about love. How can we live that out? Okay, I want to turn to a passage in the Gospel of John and close with this. This is in John 21. It's after Jesus' resurrection. He spent time, he revealed himself to his disciples, he's spending time with them. I'm going to read from verse 15, to verse 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you want to, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John says parenthetically, "This he said to show by what kind of death he Peter was to glorify God." And after saying this, he said to him, "Follow me." I love this passage. It says, you know, it's easy to love other people if you've been loved. It's easier. It's hard to love people, but it's much easier if you have been loved. If love has been poured into you. Right? if you have a healthy family background, it's my your parents took care of you, they poured into you, it's much easier to pour into other people. Same thing if you're surrounded by friends, by community, by relationships who care about you, pour into you, who are kind, who don't boast, who aren't envious. Right? It's easier to do the same. But of course, not all of us have that, right? And the older you get, Quite possibly, quite probably, you're going to gain examples. You're going to have a break, you know, relationship that goes wrong, that goes bitter. You're going to have family problems. You're going to have friendships which fall out. You're going to have challenges at work. Right? The reasons to be angry or bitter or hateful may multiply. What gives us the power, the ability to love? What can make us love other people? And it's this. Right. Jesus says to him, do you love me? It's like, why does Peter love him? Why does Peter love him? One day in his naivete, when he was a bit younger, earlier in Jesus' ministry, just a few weeks before this, actually, before the crucifixion, Peter, in part, in part, the reason he loved Jesus was he thought Jesus was usher in a messianic kingdom. Peter was ready to you know, pull out swords, right? Fight, fight in the streets. But why does he love him? Because Jesus laid down his life for Peter. While Peter was yet foolish, And was yet Jesus' enemy. And Jesus laid down his life for him. Why do I love Jesus? He died on the cross for my sins. Why do I love Jesus? He gave the church people who love him, who are enabled to love, who love not just people who are like him, who it's convenient to love, people in their own king group or ethnicity or nation, but people who are called to go out and make disciples in all nations to follow Jesus, to shower that love on others. Right? who have lived that out in history, who are living it out today. And so this, I ask you, do you love Jesus? I hope that whether you do or not, he loves you. He loves you, and he is calling you to share that, to spread that. Don't chase after clanging, noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. Right? May all our work, our effort, our knowledge be bound by our love for the Lord and our love for one another. Lived out in practice as a discipline day by day. Let us follow him. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this beautiful chapter. I thank you that even in our secular culture, I see I see it show up in secular television shows. You see it all over the place, at least parts of it. Holy Father, what a beautiful truth this is. That... The greatest of uh, uh, what remains is faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is we love. And how sweet and precious it, it, it is, Lord God, uh, that you loved us first. And I pray that would be true for each one of us, that we would love you, and that we would live that out. In Jesus' name.